0: You're listening to a message from Mercy Culture Church, home of Pastor Landon and Heather Schott in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information about Mercy Culture and ways that you can be a part of it, visit mercyculture.com. Good morning, Mercy Culture. My name is Landon. I'm the Senior Lead Pastor of Mercy Culture Church. The vision of our church is to take people from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters with God. And here's what that means is is we're not just about a great church service, but we want you to encounter the presence of God every single day. Because when you get in the presence of God, it's so easy to hear Him. When you begin to hear God and obey God, everything in your life begins to change. So here at Mercy Culture, we're passionate about God encounters, and we want to help you encounter God on a daily basis. So we do this through our membership, which is really discipleship. We call it CONNECT. It's super easy. You can text CONNECT to the number that comes on the screen or go to mercyculture.com click CONNECT and you watch a few short videos about our church, and then you take this connect with God assessment. And this is a game changer for your spiritual growth, because here's what it'll do. It'll show you how you best connect with God. Because we've done this disservice in the body of Christ where we've tried to make everyone connect with God the same. And the truth is, everyone connects with God differently. So when you discover how you best connect with God, it literally is a game changer for your spiritual growth. So we want you to spiritually grow. We want you to encounter God, so I wanna encourage you. Take that next step. Go through connect I promise you it will change your life amen what's exciting we going on a mercy culture tonight we have our Dallas interest night in Dallas this Wednesday is uh, our our monthly prayer night and we're believing God for healing if you need healing for anything get out on Wednesday night to prayer I think SLS is gonna start later this week so many exciting stuff going on here at mercy culture and how many ready for the word this morning If you want my notes, you can text notes to the number that comes on the screen and what is in front of me will be sent to you. I actually have over 70 verses that I'm gonna be referencing this morning. There's a lot on this. Someone say, sound doctrine. (laughs) If you have your Bibles, you could turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 22. In 1 Kings chapter 22, we're beginning in verse 29. And it says this. So the king of Israel, or Ahab, and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth-Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you wear your robes. And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into the battle. Verse 34. But a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel in the joint or scale of the armor. Therefore, the driver of his scariot, he said, "'Turn around and get me out of this battle. "'I am wounded.'" Verse 35, "'And the battle continued that day, "'and the king was propped up in his chariot "'facing the Syrians until at evening time he died. "'And the blood of the wounded "'flowed into the bottom of the chariot.'" Verse 36, "'And it was about sunset. "'A cry went out from the army, "'every man in his city, every man in his country, "'so the king had died.'" I came here to tell you this morning, when you put on the breastplate of righteousness, you are wearing dunamis. The title of this message this morning is The Breastplate of Righteousness. Let's pray. So Father, we declare right now your word is true. We declare, let every man be a liar. We pray right now, let your word be a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Holy Spirit, I ask you to breathe right now on your logos word, your written word. I pray you'd become alive. I pray that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, minds to understand what your spirit is saying. Father, I declare no spirit, but the Holy Spirit is welcome in this room right now. So we say, every other spirit, you must go. Fear, you must go. Any spirit of distractions, you must go. We say, Holy Spirit, come, rule, reign. You are the center of our attention. Holy Spirit, I declare right now, we don't make room for you, but we give you the entire room. Father, I thank you. No one came to hear me. We all came to hear you. So we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. And all God's people said, "Amen." amen. And amen. Well, we are stewarding a prophetic word on dunamis, that this would be a year that we would strengthen and fortify our faith. This would be a year where the Holy Spirit's power would be go from resting on us to indwelling or abiding in us. We've been talking about issues of doctrine and sound doctrine and making sure that your faith is fortified this year. And right now we're in a series on the whole armor or the full armor of God. So we're going to strengthen our faith through the full armor of God. Last week, we, I, I did an introduction on the full armor of God and I taught on the belt of truth and that there's a war on truth because Jesus is truth. When you are not wearing your belt of truth, you are not living in the truth. And when we wear the belt of truth and when we wear the armor of God, we're literally wearing the characteristics or the image of Jesus. I want to encourage you, if you didn't hear part one, make sure you go back and listen to it last week because we set up the whole context of the full armor of God. This morning we're talking about the breastplate of righteousness, which in chronological order, it is the second part of the armor that the Bible mentions. Ephesians 6, 14 says, "...therefore, having fastened the belt of truth and putting on the breastplate of righteousness." Someone say righteousness. This is so important for your strengthening and fortifying your faith is understanding righteousness. Romans fourteen seventeen says this, that the kingdom of God is made up of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The entire kingdom of God is made up of righteousness. My mentor and spiritual father was a prophet named John Paul Jackson. And he mentored me for years on a weekly basis before he went to go be with Jesus. And just about the only thing we talked about for the first year was righteousness. That's all we talked about. And I remember him telling me this. He said, Landon, righteousness is the matter of heaven. I said, what do you mean it's the matter of heaven? He said, everything in the kingdom of God is made of righteousness. I remember being in science class in high school and they were talking about matter and I was a little confused and I I, I was saying you know what do you mean everything is matter this microphone's matter your chairs matter the solar systems matter matter is what makes up everything it's the fiber of what everything in the solar system is made of and that's like righteousness Everything in the kingdom of God, all of heaven is made of the matter of righteousness. Another way to describe it is it's the DNA of heaven. When Heather and I first got married, we liked to lay in bed at night and watch those crime shows where there's like forensics and stuff like that. And we lay in bed, we watch way too many of them and, 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 and we'd play this game with each other. And we're like, well, if I was gonna kill you, I'm like, I would burn your body. And so I'd ruin all the evidence and make it so hard for them to figure it out. She's like, no, 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 they'd find the trace evidence of the, how you started the fire and you'd get caught. No, no, She's like, I'd cut your body up into tiny little pieces and I'd feed you to alligators because they would digest you in over two hours and I will only need a two hour window and then I'd be in the clear and, and no one would find me out. And it was this like romantic conversation we would have on a regular basis. And it's wild because when you watch these shows, they find one piece of DNA. And that one piece of DNA can either prove someone guilty or innocent of years and years ago how important this one piece of DNA is. Righteousness, watch, is the DNA of heaven. It's what the entire kingdom of God is made of. You know there's a story in john chapter 9 and many of you are familiar with it it's a story of a blind man and you've heard preachers talk about it. Or you've read it in the word and jesus spit in the ground made some mud put in the man's eyes and, and you know people kind of get grossed out or can't figure out why would jesus put mud in someone's face and they get distracted about the wrong thing and they get so focused on the mud and the situation that they don't realize that there's an exchange of dna Where there is a man who's blind and can't see, watch, his DNA isn't working properly. And Jesus takes his spit, or he takes, watch, heaven's DNA, and he puts it in his dysfunctional DNA, watch, and then all of a sudden he's healed, watch, because the DNA of heaven invades his DNA. See, that's what righteousness does, is it allows the DNA of heaven to renew your mind. It allows the DNA of heaven to heal your heart. It allows the DNA of of heaven to come and heal your body it transforms you into the likeness of God that's when you start becoming like the one you've behold it's the DNA of heaven when you're understanding the word righteousness it's a, it's a, it's a funny word it's, it's a word and what it, what it means is it's a judicial word that actually predicts the innocence or the guilt of someone it's, it's, it's a, a courtroom scene where a judge is determining the ruling over, over someone. Determining if they are innocent or determining if they're guilty. It is a divine approval. And here's what's wild is you cannot, from a biblical perspective, separate the word righteousness from the word justice. In fact, when I preach on righteousness in a Spanish church and they interpret it in Spanish, there's no word in Spanish for righteousness. They use the same word they use for justice. Because righteousness is heaven's justice. Righteousness is what is just, watch, in heaven's eyes. So let me give you a simplified definition of this. Here's my definition of righteousness. Righteousness is intentionally living right in God's eyes. Notice I didn't say your eyes. Because a lot of people do what they think is right and they say stuff like, well, well, you know, me and the Lord have an understanding or we're married in God's eyes. You're not married in God's eyes, you're fornicating in God's eyes and that's why he wrote it in his book. You just haven't got your eyes where his eyes were in his book. So your eyes are wrong. Or, or, or you say stuff like, well, I don't understand if two people love each other, then why can't they just be married? Because in God's eyes, he created man marriage between one man and one woman for life. Watch. So your eyes see it wrong. That's why you got your Facebook theologian Christians that love commenting on, on your stuff. Don't judge me. Really what they're saying when they say, don't judge me, is I don't want to live righteously. That's really what they're saying. Watch, is, is I want to be right in my eyes. I don't care about being right in God's eyes. See, our eyes are dysfunctional and we need some of that spit. Come on, we need some of that heaven's DNA to enter our eyes, in our heart, in our life, so we begin to look like heaven. Righteousness, watch, is being right in God's eyes. It's this desire to please the Lord, a desire to do what's right. Now, it's wild because in 2014 is really when this journey began with me. And the Lord gave me an assignment to preach on righteousness for the entire year. So in 2014, I think I preached 39 different sermons around the nation and all these different churches and evangelists, and the only thing I preached on was righteousness. And, and, and most people weren't preaching about righteousness. And in that year, I really noticed that not only did I not hear a lot of people preaching about righteousness, I didn't hear anyone even talking about righteousness. I heard a, a, a bad theology of grace. I, I heard a lot about God blessing you and how amazing you are. And, and God made you just how you are and live how you are. I didn't hear a lot about dying to your flesh, picking up your cross and following Jesus. Jesus. Not only did I not hear a lot of sermons on righteousness, even worse, I started noticing that people would quote scripture and then they would remove righteousness from scripture. Now, I don't think they did it on purpose, but I would hear stuff like this all the time, Matthew six thirty three. People say, uh, seek ye first the kingdom and everything else will be added to you. In fact, I, I, I stood in a church service and I heard a pastor declare it. I said, sir, you missed something. It doesn't say, seek ye first just the kingdom, but it says, and his righteousness. And then everything else will be added to you. But I noticed we jumped over righteousness and went to seek ye first the kingdom and everything will be added. I noted it's stuff like Proverbs chapter 24 where people would say or pray or post. uh, 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 They they would say, "Though though a man may fall seven times, the Lord will pick you up. And I heard them over and over pray and say this, but I never heard them say righteous. They would say, though you may fall seven times, the Lord will pick you back up. It depends. Some people fall down and stay down. Some people don't know what it's like for God to reach down and help them back up. Who does he help up? He helps up the righteous. How about this scripture in James 5, 16? You've heard this. The fervent prayer availeth much. Well, your prayer might not avail much. Your prayer might be an unrighteous prayer in the flesh that doesn't go very far. But whose prayer availeth much? The righteous prayer availeth much. How about this one? The wealth of the wicked is stored up for you. Maybe. Maybe not. I know it's not stored up for everybody. Who's it stored up for? I've watched this over and over with Scripture, people quoting Scripture and omitting or removing the righteousness. And here's why. People accidentally or on purpose remove righteousness from Scripture because righteousness had been removed from their lives. And when righteousness isn't in your lives, watch this, you don't even see it in Scripture. That's why it's so dangerous that you could be familiar with something but not have the revelation of it. Please listen to me today, church. I don't want to talk about a subject that you've heard so many times in church where you pass over it, you said, oh, I've heard that scripture before, or I understand this, or I know what this is. Watch, we know what I love about God's word is it's alive. You read any other book, you read Moby Dick and it's just about a whale, but you read one scripture a thousand times and then he breathes upon it and it comes alive and it starts speaking to you again. And even though the doctrine doesn't change, it says something new new and fresh because the Holy Spirit wrote it and the Holy Spirit is living and active and breathing on it today. I love God's word, watch, because it becomes alive again. I don't want you to be familiar with righteousness and you don't know the revelation today. So lock in with me as I talk about the scripture. Talk, lock in with me as I read to you these 70 different scriptures and talk about what the kingdom of God is. Let me give you some practical advice. When you're reading your Bible, Underline every verse on righteousness or righteous in the same color. And start paying attention to how much God is pointing to righteousness. You can do the same thing with truth with a different color. You could learn how to recognize what God's word is saying by doing this. Do you know there's over a thousand scriptures on righteousness? It would take you hours to sit and just read every verse on righteousness the reason why you can't get through Psalms, you can't get through Proverbs, Old Testament and New Testament. Old Testament, who did God save humanity through? Noah, a righteous man. Who was the father of faith? Abraham, a righteous man. He was always looking for someone to partner with righteousness. How about Job in the Old Testament where it's one thing for the the enemy to say your name, it's something else for God to say your name to the enemy. Satan never brought Job up. God said, Satan, are you tired of messing with the faithless, faithlessness, Christian? Have you considered my servant, Job? There's no one like him. Watch, he's righteous. Uh-huh. Then, then, then here's what, what, what uh, Satan said. He said, does Job fear you for nothing? He said, you put a hedge of protection around him. You lift that hedge, he won't love you. Now, the first thing I notice is, whoa, 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 whoa. If God gives out heads of protection, where do I get what? And here's the thing, you know what the hedge of protection was? It was his righteousness that protected him, that guarded him. That's why, even when his friends said, Curse God and die, he said, You can take everything from me. Naked I come, naked I go, but I'm gonna hold on to my righteousness. Watch, God is looking to partner with righteousness. It's a powerful thing. All throughout scriptures, you know these scriptures, let them come alive in you. We see the righteous, righteousness is, is in the full arm of God, Ephesians 6. Righteousness is in the uh, Sermon on the Mountain, the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 6. The righteous live by faith according to Galatians 3. The righteous are bold as a lion according to Proverbs 28. God's prayers, our ears are, are listening to the prayers of the righteous, 1 Peter 3. How about the righteous are never forsaken, Psalms 37. Righteousness yokes or unifies believers, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're persecuted because of righteousness bringing on Matthew chapter five, or I love this, cities are spared for righteousness according to Genesis chapter 18. I love Genesis 18, let me take a second with it because in Genesis chapter 18, it's the story of Abraham who was a righteous man and he's crying out for an unrighteous city. And despite what woke theologians will tell you, the reason why God destroyed Sodom was not in hospitality. It was over its grotesque perversion. It was a city that was known for homosexual practice. It was a city that the men tried to rape and have sex with angels. It was a wicked, vile, perverted city. And we know it was immoral because there wasn't righteousness in it. So watch in Genesis chapter 18, put it on the screen. Abraham begins to... Ask God, he begins to negotiate with God, what would it take to spare this city? And the first thing he said, would you spare it for 50 righteous? Then he starts negotiating with God. He's like, God, can we do it for 40, 40, 40, 40? How do I get 40, 40? How about 30? Can you do it for 30? I hear 133rd 30, one, 30. When 30 here, what do you do for 20? 20, God. And he gets all the way down to 10. And we don't know why he stopped at 10. Some theologians have different opinions on it, but I think the most logical argument is he couldn't count Less than 10, but here's what we know, watch this. God said to Abraham, I will spare the city for 50 righteous and I will spare the city for 10 righteous. Now I'm not a mathematician, but that's only the difference of 40 righteous people. And if you would save the city for 50 or you would save the city for 10, watch, it means that righteousness is what saves cities. Now watch this because some of you haven't been too fond of your own family because you've seen the unrighteousness in your family. But I came to tell you from a theological perspective with sound doctrine, If there is one righteous in your family, then there is saving for your family. There is hope for your family. Watch, if there's just a few righteous in Fort Worth, if there's just a few righteous in Dallas, if there's a few righteous in Texas, my God, if there's a few righteous in America. See, hold on, hold on. Because the enemy will just tell you how dark America's getting. And I get it. They're, do- they're doing sex changes on kids. I get it. We've kicked God out of schools. I get it. It's getting darker. It's getting corrupt. I understand what's going on, but here's what I know is that righteousness is what changes families. It's what saves cities. It's what turns around nations. Watch, this is our answer. But I also need to caution you. Righteousness is what saves cities. Not self righteousness. Well, this is where you have to be careful. What is self righteousness, Pastor? Self righteousness is when you start thinking your works made you righteous. It's when you've been around church folk too long and your outfit too pretty and you smell too good. This is this is when you start pretending like this is who you really are. We know how you dress up at church is just your representative. We know that's really not who you are. Come on, I'm talking about the person that was cursed just a few days ago. I'm talking about the person that was struck with lust just a moment ago. I'm talking about the gossiping, backbiting things that in your mind that if we knew, you wouldn't think you were so righteous. And there's some church folk that think that you just, because you don't sleep around, you're righteous. Where well, you commit abomination of gossip on a regular basis. Your mouth is more perverse than their body is. See, this is where you gotta be careful. At any time, watch, you think you have anything to do with your righteousness. In fact, scripture says that no one is righteous. The prophet said it like this, your righteousness is like filthy rags. I don't mean to get too gross in here, but if you study that in the Hebrew, your filthy rags is like the the, the discard of a cloth that a woman used during her menstrual cycle. On your best day, that's how righteous you are. Ah, this is is what we need to understand. This is what religion tries to do. It tries to make it about your works. No works comes later. Faith comes first. Let me teach you. This is important. Let me give you some sound doctrine right here. There's two kinds of righteousness that we find in Scripture. The first is called imputed. The second is imparted. Imputed righteousness is simply this. It is a free gift that God gives you. It is a Free gift when Christ Jesus took your place of sin and exchanged it with his righteousness. So he trades you his righteousness for your unrighteousness through the sacrifice on the cross. Could someone say thank you? So that word imputed means this, credited to someone else's behalf. This is so important because this will help you from getting religious. It means this, you didn't deserve it. And this is where you gotta be careful because some people can get religious and then they start looking down on other people and they think if they deserve forgiveness or righteousness or not. And this is where you have to understand none of us did. Now hold on, now you gotta be careful because I'm gonna lean back on the next kind of righteousness. This is So the first, car, first kind is called imputed. Say imputed. You guys are all scholars. The second is called imparted. Imparted righteousness is when you begin to look like the one you're being created from. Watch, this is where the Christ that is for you now becomes the Christ that is in you. Watch, this is when your works or your lifestyle begins to reflect the righteousness that just saved you. Now let me wind this back because a couple weeks ago I taught you about salvation and we talked about the three process or the three steps to salvation or the process of salvation. So the first thing you have is justification. That's where Jesus says you're not guilty and it's crazy because you're really all guilty. You're a dirty sinner. They're all of us. We are, I am, you are. Okay, all have fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned, okay? But he says you're not guilty. Then the second thing of, of salvation, he says now I'm gonna make you a new creation or regeneration. This is where the old person dies. Then you get into the third part of sanctification where you start living Christ-like. So I wanna pull this back because we already taught you about salvation. Now I wanna show you where righteousness comes in. So go to the next screen. See, you're imputed righteousness when he says you're justified and you're not guilty. That's when he makes you righteous. That's the weird part because he says you're righteous, but we all know you ain't. So let me say it a different way. You're not righteous. He's righteous and he made you righteous and he changed you. It's not fair. That's what we call mercy. But then he says, watch, I'm calling you righteous. Now go live righteous. I wanna impart righteousness into you, into this new creation, this regeneration. Watch, as the old person dies, the new person comes alive. Did you sign up for baptisms? We're baptizing people next week, get baptized. Watch, start this process of regeneration. That I'm dying in the water The old man is gone, the new man has come. In Christ, you are made uh, made new. The old is gone, the new has come. This is the process of righteousness. Now, the purpose of righteousness, or in the context of this message, the breastplate of righteousness, its job is to guard the heart. Bring it back practically for a moment. The breastplate covers the heart or it covers the place where the most vital organs are. And here's what scripture says, the breastplate of righteousness, the purpose of it is to guard your heart. Now I wanna pastor you, I just taught you, now I wanna pastor you. This is important. Proverbs 4 might be my life verse, maybe the most important verse I've ever had to partner with outside of salvation. This is important. Here's what it says, it says, above all else, guards your heart for it is the wellspring of life. Cool thing to do is go read this in a bunch of different versions, how it says, but it says it's where the source of life comes from. It's where your future lies. Here's what it's saying, listen, listen, there's nothing more important to your future than keeping this heart right with God. Watch, righteousness is what guards your heart. Now, when the Bible's saying heart, that's another thing that you gotta be careful of because you could be in the church world or maybe you're new to Christian, uh, Christianity or new to following Jesus and, and you start bringing some of your old ways or worldly ways into your Christianity and you could be confused. Because in the church world, we say a lot of things that aren't biblical. We say stuff like, well, I'm just gonna go with my heart. No! No, stop, you need a good friend to say, no, I'm gonna judge you right now, no. Every time you go with your heart, you make bad decisions. That's why you keep getting bad relationships. That's why you keep getting bad business deals. That's why you keep doing dumb things. Stop going with your heart. Jesus never said, go with your heart. That's why we have daily encounters. That's why I have an intimate relationship with Jesus. We don't go with our heart, we go with God's word and where the Holy Spirit leads us. So watch, if we make a mistake, you know what the mistake was? I tried to please the Lord. Not, I went with my heart. Let me warn you, okay? Because let me tell you what the Bible says about your heart. You ready? Turn to your neighbor and say, he's about to go in. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is most deceitful of all things. Desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Yeah, that's you going with your heart right there. Let me say it a different way. I'm just really going to go with desperately wicked and I don't even know how bad it is. How about Romans 21, the fall of humanity? It says this, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Matthew seven twenty one: from within our heart of a man comes evil thoughts, sexually immorality, murder, and adultery. Now, when I say heart in the Hebrew, it's the word lebi, which means this. It means the center of everything. The core of everything. And it could be a little confusing in the scriptures because sometimes they'll use the word heart and soul interchangeably. But what it's talking about is the inward core of a man. I love what Dr. Brown says. He says, this is how he defines heart personally. The seat of his emotions, the core of a being or the guts of how I feel or what I believe. So let me give you the most simplified definition I can. It's the core of a person. Your heart is the core of who you are. And this is what you have to understand, the heart is important to the Lord. Now it's wild because in church, the outside is most important sometimes. Or with your friends, the outside is the most important. How do you look? How influenced you are? How successful you are? how wealthy you are all these outside things where do you live where do you drive all of this outside stuff and here's the danger is if you don't understand how valuable the heart is you'll end up looking on outside things instead of the most valuable thing in first samuel god made saul king cuz the people asked for him but saul never had his heart after god saul's heart was after himself And so he removed Saul and here's what he said, I'm gonna give a better king, I'm gonna give a better man who's a man watch after my own heart. So he has the prophet Samuel go and anoint one of Jesse's sons. That's all God told him. You're gonna go anoint one of Jesse's sons. So the prophet Samuel shows up and he sees Eliab. That's David's oldest brother. He was tall, he was handsome, he was the oldest. And according to scripture, he thought for himself, surely that's the Lord's anointed. Now this is wild because Samuel's a prophet and even prophets miss it when they think instead of hear. So he sees Eliab, thinks for himself, surely he's it. And then God in his grace corrected him. He said, whoa, 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 whoa. Samuel, you're looking at the outside. No, 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 you're looking at his representative. No, 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 you're looking at the things man looks at. I need you to look at what I value the most. I need you to look at the heart because this is what touches me. This is what affects me. This is what I want from a king. The heart is so important to the Lord. Matthew 23, 37, this is the greatest commandment. This is so huge. The greatest commandment, this is the one thing every Christian is called and charged to do. When the, when the Pharisees were trying to challenge Jesus of what the greatest commandment is, the top 10 referring to the Old Testament, Jesus said this, the greatest thing that you can do is love God with all of your It's the greatest. Church, I need you to hear what I'm saying. This is so important for you being firm in your foundation. This is so important that you don't lose the faith. You know why people lose the faith? Because they love other things more than they love God with their heart. They don't love the Lord their God with all of their heart. They love their vacations with all of their heart. They love their finances with all of their heart. They love their resources. They want fame. They want other things. Watch, this is why people lose the faith. It's because the number one greatest thing Jesus told them to do, they don't do. Church, this is what He wants more than anything. He wants your heart, watch, because if he has your heart, he has the core of you. If he has your heart, he has all of you. Hmm. Here's what you need to understand. God tests the heart. I said in my book, Jezebel, that those that operate in the Jezebel spirit or those that think they're submitted only are submitted until their will is tested. And many people think they have a pure heart or pure ambition until your heart is tested. And God tests the heart of his people. Proverbs 17 says, a crucible for silver says, but the the heart is tested or God tests the heart. You have to understand that in this journey of life, God is going to test people's heart. And you have to learn how to guard your heart to pass those tests. I was praying for you this week and I felt three tests that I wanted to share with you that you're gonna to have to go through and pass. There's gonna be three tests that you're gonna to have to guard your heart over. I wanna bring them to your attention today. I'm sure there's many more. These are the three that God put on my heart. The first is the faithful test. You're gonna to have to guard your heart and pass the faithful test. I'm gonna ask you this today. Are you faithful to God? Are you faithful to his word? Are you faithful in the house of God? Matthew 25, 21 says, if you have been faithful with little, he will make you ruler over much. And many people don't get to the ruler over much place because they weren't faithful with little. Are you faithful in obeying scripture? Do you live a morally pure or sexually pure life? Let me ask you this question. Do you keep your word? Are you honest? Are you faithful in your giving to God? Matthew 6, 21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's so many people that think they're faithful to God, but their finances don't reflect what they say in their heart. Jesus said it like this. Many people say they're with me with their mouths, but their heart is far from me. Let me ask you this. Are you faithful in the trials of life? See, most people lose their faith in this season here because trials of life come and they instead of saying uh, what is responding, how Job respond, naked I come in the world, naked I leave. Lord, I'm gonna love you no matter what. They start saying, I can't believe God would allow me to go through this. And so because God has allowed me to go through this, I'm going to decide right now that I'm not going to be faithful to him anymore. Despite him sending his son to die on the cross for my sin to save me, that's not good enough anymore. See, people can't pass this test when they allow the disappointment or the trials of life to discourage them. I call this the trials of life. I call this the weight of life. What's the weight of life? The weight of life is when you are being crushed by disappointment. It's when you know what you believe but you don't know if you believe what you know anymore because what you know and what you believed is being tested. It's when you can't figure out in your mind why is this happening? Why is God allowing this to happen? This is where there's a resolve in you or commitment in you to love God no matter what despite what my circumstances are it's not going to change my faithfulness to God in church you will be tested with your faithfulness every single one of us and here's the thing is if you don't pass this test you will be tested again and I don't know about you but I'm not one of those ones that like to retake tests I want to learn it the first time. What if you just stopped right now and instead of complaining in your daily encounters, what if you started asking, Holy Spirit, what are you trying to teach me? I told you I'm going to pastor you now. What if instead of letting a fence come in, what if you started to ask him, okay, I'm not seeing the finances that I thought I would see, so what are you trying to teach me about stewardship? What if you said, I'm not seeing the healing that that I was believing for. What are you teaching me about faith? And it's not that I don't have enough faith. Someone needs to get healed of this right now. You have enough faith. It's not that you need enough faith. Maybe God just wants to teach you something in this season. Maybe you need to learn what Paul learned when he was in jail. That in this season, God wants to do something greater in me than the surroundings around me. Look, at these are the seasons that God will produce something great. Church, hear me, but you have to be faithful. Ah, uh, I, I feel like I can't leave this for a second. You will not get promoted in the kingdom without faithfulness. You will not... Spiritually advance without faithfulness. So I came to ask you and your pastor, where are you not being faithful? What area of your faith are you not being faithful? Proverbs twenty-four ten says, If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. I like how the message Bible says it. It says this If you fall into pieces in crisis, there wasn't much to you in the first place. After you pass the faithful test, the second test you're gonna to have to pass is the success test. See, the faithful test, you know you're being tested and you know when you pass. Because you finally make it through. You finally have joy. You see yourself coming on the other side. The successful test is a harder one because it's a pop quiz and you don't know when it's coming. See, the success test is how do you respond to God's favor? How do you respond to success? See, the children of Israel had to pass this test. It was easy when they were being persecuted in Egypt, slaves in Egypt, because they made it out. But all of a sudden, God started blessing them. All of a sudden, they got in the promised land. All of a sudden, they got in the goodness of the Lord. And what happened? They forgot. Read the Old Testament over and over, and they forgot, and they forgot, and they forgot, and they forgot. My God, I don't want to forget. No, no, all of a sudden, people start telling you how great you are. You start believing it, start telling you how wise you are. I am wise how anointed you are. I am, you're right. I'm amazing. And then you start believing it like you're God's gift to everything. You're God's gift to, if you left mercy culture, the whole thing would implode. The all ground would open up like hey, it's just gone. <laughs> this one's harder because it's in your prideful blind spots. See, this is when you start putting your trust in your retirement. Is when you start putting trust in your reserves. All of a sudden, you don't have to pray like you used to pray when you had nothing because you have plenty. All of a sudden, you are on spiritual easy street. Watch, you became rich in the natural and no longer are you poor in the spirit anymore. You have forgotten about how good God has been. Watch, you have lost your need for God. You know what God said to Saul? when he was removing the kingdom or the anointing from him, he said, you were once small in your own eyes. Ah. But somewhere along the line, you got big in your eyes. You got so spiritually important and you're gonna fail the test. You know what my prayer for you is? That as God blesses you, you get more humble. That as God promotes you, you get even more desperate for him. As God continues to richly bless you, it's only as your soul prospers. Watch that God would bless you so much, but as he blesses you, it would cause you to need him so much more. Church, you have to pass this test. The third test I felt like I was supposed to bring up to you today, that you must must pass, is the betrayal test. Can you love your betrayers? How quick do you forgive? Do you forgive at all? Have you truly forgiven? Do you love your enemies? Have you prayed for God to bless your enemies? How about this one? Have you thanked God for your enemies? See, if you don't pass this test, you're not gonna be spiritually promoted. And there's Christians that get stuck for decades in this test because they can't pass it. Because they just think about their ex. They just think about that business partner. They just thought about that church member. They just thought about that family member and how they betrayed them and they can't get out of it, watch, and so they become a victim or they become bound in that betrayal. Watch, have you ever thought for a second that God would use it. Have you even thought for a second how there may be spiritual promotion in it, or that maybe you wouldn't even be who you are in God without it? Have you ever thought that maybe, just maybe, I know this is hard, and and, and maybe this won't go with what your therapist said to you, but maybe that was one of the most pivotal, greatest things that ever happened to you. It's quiet in here because you haven't passed this test yet, but we're gonna get there together maybe you need the betrayer. You know, Jesus had 12 disciples, many left, 12 stayed, but he had 12 that he called apostles. And out of those 12, the only one he needed was Judas. He didn't need Peter to die on the cross. He didn't need John. He didn't need any of the other disciples, watch this. But he had to have a Judas because Judas was the betrayer. See, without a betrayal, there wasn't an arrest. Without an arrest, there wasn't a trial. Without a trial, there wasn't a sentence. Without a sentence, there wasn't a cross. Without the cross, there wasn't the grave. Without the grave, there wasn't resurrection. Without resurrection, there wasn't salvation. Watch, he needed a betrayer. Watch, to position him to the place of sacrifice to save you and to save me. Church, you need a betrayer. And there's so many people, that get stuck in why did this happen to me? Instead of what Joseph said when his brothers betrayed him, you meant it for evil, but God turned this thing for good. Listen, Romans said this, that all things are made for good for those that love God. You gotta pass this test. Uh, how do you know when you pass this test, you don't hate them anymore? How do you know when you pass this test, you care about them making it to heaven? How do you know that you pass this test when your heart breaks for the state of their soul? Church, you've got to pass the betrayal test. And it's one of the most beautiful tests. Ah, Because when you can be trusted with betrayal, you could be trusted in the kingdom. Watch, the greatest responsibility in the kingdom is given to those that pass the betrayal test. I felt the Lord speak to my spirit and say this house was in a testing season. You are in a testing season. I came to ask you today, where are you being tested? Some of you are being tested in your faithfulness. Some of you are being tested in your success. Some of you are being tested in betrayal, but where are you being tested today? And I felt so strong in my spirit that there was resolve in my spirit that today we are gonna pass this test. In this season, we're gonna pass this test. Why? Because we are guarding our hearts. Church, hear your pastor. You do not pass tests when you don't guard your heart. This is where offense gets in. This is where pride gets in. This is where unforgiveness gets in. This is where jealousy gets in. This is where ambition gets in. Or you can guard your heart. So how do you actually guard your heart? I know we're talking about righteousness. We're talking about a lot of deep theological issues. But how do you actually guard your heart? I asked the Lord that question one time. I said, Lord, would you teach me how to guard my heart? You know, that's one of the most beautiful prayers you can pray, just Holy Spirit, teach me. And as soon as I asked him, would you teach me how to guard my heart? He said, look at the angel in the garden. I went to Genesis chapter three, and in Genesis chapter three, put it on the screen, it, it talks about Adam and Eve being removed from the garden. Why were they being removed? Because they brought unrighteousness in. And unrighteousness wasn't allowed in the garden, just like unrighteousness will not be allowed in heaven. So God removes Adam and Eve from the garden, puts an angel, a cherubim, with the sword on fire, guarding the way back into the garden. The Holy Spirit said, look at the angel. He was holding a sword on fire. How do you guard your heart? With the Holy Spirit's help in the Word of God. Watch, in your daily encounter, in God's word with the Holy Spirit is how you guard your heart. You know how you guard your heart? You tell on yourself, Lord, I feel it getting hard. Lord, I feel myself getting mad. I feel myself hating. I feel myself not liking him. Holy Spirit, you see it? I see it. You see it? Show me this thing inside of me. You got to get this out of me. Then you start reading in the word about how he forgave you and what a wretched sinner you were. Then you start thanking him for his grace, his mercy, his salvation. Then he starts talking about loving your enemies and you don't want to, but you're in the word, you're with the spirit and you start blessing those that have hurt you. You start loving those that wronged you watch you start walking out righteousness. And that process of guarding your heart begins. Church. If you guard your heart, I promise you, you will be successful spiritually. If you guard your heart. I promise you, the enemy will not take you out. If you guard your heart, despite what seasons look like, your life will reflect Job's, a righteous man. No one like him. Church, we must be people that guard our hearts from all unrighteousness. Let's go back to Acts chapter 22, or excuse me, 1 Kings chapter 22. The scripture that we opened up with If you notice when I preach, every time I open up with a story and I end with a story. So let me give you some context for the story. First Kings 21 and 22 or all of that first Kings section is about a wicked woman named Jezebel, her wimpy, fragile, unrighteous husband named Ahab and a bunch of prophets. And in the story, King Ahab is known as an unrighteous king. In fact, scripture said, he did more evil than any other king before him. Now, what did he do that was so evil? He married a witch who worshiped Baal and aligned God's people with God's enemies. He aligned the people he was supposed to be leading to God and introduced them to Baal. He was a wicked king. And this wicked king went and partnered with another king named Jehoshaphat. And he said, would you help me fight the enemy? And they go to fight. But Jehoshaphat feared the Lord. And he said, let's inquire of God if we're going to win this battle. So King Ahab got his 400 false prophets that were woke prophets that were on his payroll. These were the ones that would jump back and forth between church and Jezebel. And they were all prophesying what he wanted to hear. Reminds me of your YouTube prophet friends. You're gonna win, you're gonna win, you're gonna win. You're amazing, you're awesome, you're wonderful. And Jehoshaphat said, do you have any real prophets around here? And Ahab said, there's one, but I don't like him because he doesn't prophesy anything good about me ever. His name was Micah, they went and got him. They brought him before him, they said prophesy. He's like, oh, you're awesome. You're gonna win the battle, you're amazing. There's no one like you, Ahab. And Ahab starts getting mad, throwing a fit. He said, would you prophesy the truth? He goes, fine, you're evil and you're gonna die. So the unrighteous king threw a fit and threw him in jail and said, you're not getting out of jail till I come back alive. Watch, he's trying to manipulate a prophetic word to get what he wants. He's not done with his manipulation. So then he goes to Jehoshaphat and said, hey, I'll tell you what, Um, you dress up like a king because you're a king when we go into battle, but I'm gonna disguise myself. Now, why would he try to disguise himself in battle? Because he thought the king would be taken out because the prophetic word, so if I don't look like a king, I can't be taken out because someone won't recognize me, watch, and I can manipulate the judgment of God through my strategy. See, this is what unrighteous people do, is they try to manipulate and twist and connive to try to get around the righteousness of God. Worship team, come join me. So here's what the Bible says. In 1 Kings 22, put it up on the screen. It says some certain man that we don't know who they are with a random arrow, someone say random hit him in the joint of the armor. Now, if you study where the joint of the armor is, the joint of the armor is a gap that is in the breastplate. So watch this. The unrighteous king gets hit in the breastplate with a random arrow where there's a hole because there's unrighteousness. Church, I came to tell you today where there's unrighteousness in your life are the holes in your breastplate. And where there's holes in the breastplate is where the enemy will take you out. Where you do not guard your heart is where the enemy has access to take you out. You know what's wild about this story? The arrow wasn't even meant for the king. It was a random arrow that was just meant for unrighteousness. Do you realize it doesn't matter who you are? It doesn't matter how wealthy you are. It doesn't matter how long you've known the Lord. It doesn't matter if you have pastored before. It doesn't matter what degrees you have. It does not matter how successful you think you are. You are just as susceptible to the arrows as anyone else when you don't guard your heart. Watch. And even kings can't hide when they live unrighteous lives. Just like God took the rock from David's sling and placed it in the forehead of Goliath. He took a random arrow and it made its way to the heart of an unrighteous king. Church, when you put on the breastplate of righteousness, you are wearing dunamis. And when you guard your heart, when you live, In righteousness, watch what is right in God's eyes. You are wearing the armor of God. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Mercy Culture Church. If this podcast has blessed you, we'd like to encourage you to share it with a friend. To learn more about us, find us on social media and online at mercyculture.com.